Let us continue to listen for God's word to us this morning, this portion being from the Gospel of Luke. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is God's pleasure to give you the dominion of heaven. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those servants. Jesus continues to say, But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Humanity is coming at an unexpected hour. This ends our lesson for the morning. These texts are such an invitation to serious reflection on the state of our country, our ethics as displayed by our political candidates, our religious fidelity, our personal standing before God. We could remind ourselves of our priorities in life. We could critique our spiritual practice the state of our souls. But it's summertime, cold as cold can be in the city, but the mountains beckon with the promise of warmth and sunshine. Even the suburbs beckon at this time of year. What's up with this unexpected hour? What are we to do? With Isaiah, the Hebrew prophet, with Jesus and his love. Isaiah lived 600 years before Jesus. He was a Jerusalem operative, a man of the city, comfortable among the wealthy and powerful but not so at ease that he could ignore God calling him 
to preach God's truth. There was trouble in the land. An end of sorts was coming. A huge division existed between the wealthy and the poor. Huge. Prophets had brought this up before. Lots of prophets. But the kings in the palace and the priests in the temple both ignored God's biggest laws. They kept the little ones, made sure the temple sacrifices were conducted in perfect order with just the right birds and lambs at just the right price. It could be summertime in the city there, too, and the living was easy for those with enough money. The money stream was guaranteed by the cost of the religious rights, which the poor struggled to pay. This is hard for us to understand. We are people who have been well taught that the church and the state are separate. In Israel, there was no separation. Money, power, God's word were all one thing. Isaiah had to preach to the kings and the priests that they had forgotten God's word. They took the money and the power and assumed they were doing God's word, obeying God's commandments, because the money and the power kept flowing. But they missed the point. Love God the most of all. Love your neighbor as yourself. They missed that, the point of all the rest. Jesus, all those 600 years later, knew Isaiah's words, knew them by heart, I suspect. He read from the Isaiah scroll at the very beginning of his public ministry, those words about binding up the brokenhearted, freeing the prisoners, healing the sick. He knew those words, and he acted on that knowledge. He prayed his way through his brief life, following those words. He taught his disciples, us, all about how to pray, how to act, what words to pay attention to. And this morning, we get a little pop quiz. Where is our treasure? Where are our hearts? 20 years ago this very month, 
Jean and I moved here, making our home in a flat, a rental flat, over on 25th Avenue. How I wish we could have bought it. But that's somebody else speaking, not me. (laughs) Prepared we were to leave our hearts in San Francisco. This city, for all of its being so famously secular, is also a place that can break our hearts and send us to Jesus for his ministry. Coming to our him with our hearts very much in need of binding up. The poor are so obvious here, so hard to ignore, even for the very wealthy, even for the struggling middle class. How are we to learn to do good Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, here. I bet I'm not alone in being ready for November to end this political season, which has consumed us for so many, many months. All the harsh rhetoric, the incivility, the trash talk. My spiritual practice in these months has included reading from a book of Thomas Merton snippets. Merton died in 1968, a Catholic, a Trappist monk, who though bound by a vow of silence, was a gifted writer. In 1963, the year I graduated from high school, I think, he wrote this. The deep elemental stirrings that lead to social change begin within the hearts of men whose thoughts have hitherto not been articulate or who have never gained a hearing and whose needs are therefore ignored, suppressed, and treated as if they do not exist. I left the word men in that quotation in honor of the men whose voices have too long been ignored as though they do not matter, whether they be black or white working class. As a human community, we do not seem to have advanced much further from those living in Jerusalem when Isaiah was preaching about that gap between the rich and the poor. Merton goes on to say that social change will not come until prophetic songs are sung, until the longings in the hearts of the poor and dispossessed are given voice 
in the big arena. For all the noise of this political season, that song is beginning to be heard in our land once more. Looking from the long perspective way back to Isaiah and then listening to Jesus and then thinking what we have learned from the 20th century, perhaps we can begin to think about what God is calling us to do here now. The other spiritual reading I'm doing these days is a little book Tim Kahn lifted up in his class last spring. Leaves from the Notebooks of a Tamed Cynic by Reinhold Niebuhr. Niebuhr was a pastor in Detroit a hundred years ago in the 1910s and 20s when that city was a place one could lose one's heart. Growth and wealth, new technology development called automobiles, and diversity, cultural wonders, as well as all the disruption any Silicon Valley entrepreneur could ask for. In 1927, Niebuhr wrote, if a gospel is preached, Without opposition, it is simply not the gospel which resulted in the cross. It is not, in short, the gospel of love. Niebuhr was concerned that Christian preachers were losing their prophetic edge, captivated by the fear of losing their positions among their wealthy congregants, as class segregation deepened and was reflected in the places where people worship. It is uncomfortable to talk about wealth in such particular terms. For me, the chasm that exists between the rich and the poor, so obvious in San Francisco, makes living here a sandpaper experience. My heart sometimes is simply rubbed raw by having to see the poorest of the poor sleeping on sidewalks in my quiet neighborhood just two blocks north of Golden Gate Park. How can that be? Jesus says, Come to me, and I will bind up your hearts. Jesus says, take care to mind your priorities. And remember, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. The prophetic gospel message before us today reminds us all to remember Jesus and his love whenever we sit down to a corporate or church spreadsheet or a bill-paying session at the kitchen table. 
That movie cliche is right. Follow the money. <laughs> In our society, the choices we make about where to spend money will reveal where our hearts have found their home. Isaiah warned his listeners that serious repercussions were coming if they did not mend their ways and heal the divide between the rich and the poor in their small country. A big neighbor could come and send the rich into exile. They didn't listen, and that's what happened. The rich and powerful were sent into exile in Babylon. Will such awful things happen in America? Does God punish disobedient children like us? I honestly think that scaremongering is a diversion. I think God sent Jesus to show us a way out of our quandary, to show us how to love one another. Rather than cowering in fear, we are told, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Abba's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We are invited to share the good creation God has given us as fairly as we know how, and to work at that every day. Our country has done some of that before in our history, a couple of generations ago. I believe we are being invited to do some more of that now. We are invited to love our neighbors and discover the joy that will engender among us. May it be so. Amen. Amen.